Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. What'd you kill Jesse for? What'd you kill Jesse for? Uh, good morning. Good morning. It's earlier than we normally do this. Why is that? Well, it's really you because you woke up a little earlier. Man. Am I lying? No. Uh, lies. <laughs> Jeez. Someone asked, uh, does Aggie like to be spanked, our hairless cat? Because yes. they also have a hairless cat, and they have noticed that their cat likes to be spanked. Uh, yes, she likes taps on her butt. Very Yes, we do, have, do very rapid taps, but it's a very disturbing display of emotional ranges. <laughs> yeah, because she seems like she's in like part euphoria and then part... like like. I mean, you wouldn't know if she's being abused or if she's enjoying, but she's purring and then she'll lick us. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, she's a weird bird. It, it, yeah, some, some boot clapping going on in her brain. I don't know. She also likes to eat her tail. Yeah, she suckles her tail like a kid does a thumb. And it's usually when she's like happy, I would think. Yeah, she's comfort. She's, like comfortable. she's comfortable. Yeah. But it's, it's so disruptive because it's so loud. It's very loud and then it's wet. So then she'll, she likes to like sit on your chest. Yeah, right. Eat here. her tail or suck on it, and then now her tail's wet, and then it's like slapping me in the face, which is so gross. <laughs> but the sound she makes or something akin to. <laughs> I, I need to record it one day so I can like have it on a loop because it's pretty disturbing. I saw that Blockbuster, Blockbuster video, mm -hmm. they tweeted that they're coming back. Okay. Which caused some confusion because a while ago there was some like cryptocurrency thing attempting to buy like the name to use for like the like the like the URL or something but then Dish Nation owns which we learned from that um documentary the last video store yeah yeah the Dish Nation owns the like the, the rights to Blockbuster and they don't want to give it up to this cryptocurrency entity so of course people are assuming that means that maybe Blockbuster's coming back as like a streaming platform that would be exciting, although nothing would replace like an actual video store. So I don't know that I need another streaming platform, but um, I don't know that them opening up actual video stores would be. A lot of people don't even have DVDs because we had a friend come over last week mm -hmm. and they brought a DV they bought a DVD to bring to our house so we could watch a movie. And then when they were going home, you gave them their disc back. Mm hmm. And he said, oh, no, keep it because I don't have a DVD player. So I wonder how many people don't even have, just like how no one's car, well, you know, modern cars don't have CD players now. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. Well, we still have an old VCR, which hasn't been used in probably a decade, but. Yeah, the last time you turned that on was, it wasn't even in our last house, I don't think. I don't think so. No. So yeah, it's been a long time. But in case, I need to use that technology. Moving on, so RuPaul's Drag Race All-Star Season 7, we watched episode 11, which is the semi-final, basically. Mm -hmm. So, of course, going into it, we were wondering, how are they going to pick a top four? Because the score counts all over the place. So, who ended up... So, the gag is, RuPaul says, for this final challenge, which was the Drag Race Gives Back Variety Extravaganza, which was basically each queen doing, like, a talent. Again. Again, which is very, which is customary. Whomever wins this challenge gets three stars. Mm -hmm. 
So now the person who was in the bottom, Shea Coulee with one star, could actually end up in the finale. Mm-hmm. And of course, as things turn out, Shea Coulee ends up winning with Monet Exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, but what were some of the variety numbers that stuck out to you? Well, Monet's doing opera. Monet's saying opera. It was breathtaking, mm-hmm. I thought. Well, also frustrating because it's like you've had this, this is talent. this fostered this talent that you don't bust out ever. I feel like she'd have gone so much farther already if she had. But well, but I mean, it's but now that because you know, I, w- I would say of all the queens on this season, she's probably the most notable. Now that everyone knows she has this talent, I could see her going on tour just doing opera. I mean, that could or doing shows, you know, in yeah. New York or L.A. where she just does opera. I was very impressed. And then Sheikh Kool-Aid performed an original song. And in the beginning of the episode, when RuPaul is asking each queen, what are you going to do? Sheikh Kool-Aid says, oh, I'm going to perform a song I, I created. It's if like if you mix Luther Vandross with Janet Jackson. So, of course, I was like, okay. We'll see about that. We'll see about that. And she didn't disappoint. Of course She not. looked like Janet. I mean, she looked like she could be Janet Jackson. It was very much like 1987. The hair. Janet Jackson hair. And then she had on like a very much like a Rhythm Nation style jacket. But it was like a short skirt. <laughs> and the song was actually quite good. The choreography was great. Mm-hmm. I was impressed by that. So those two lip synced to a Kylie Minogue song, which was okay. Mm-hmm. They end up announcing, RuPaul says Monet wins, mm-hmm. but, so now the top four is Jinx, Monet, Shea Coulee, mm-hmm. and... For the, there's a tie for the fourth spot. And there's a tie for the fourth spot between Trinity and Jada Essence Hall, and RuPaul says, well, Monet, because now you have the most stars, the most legendary legend stars, with five, you have to choose between the two. And, of course, we knew she had to pick Trinity because they had an alliance. Even though she and Jada are very friendly and Jada's, like, miscongeniality. But I think we all knew, mm-hmm. including Jada, that she'd have to pick her, her twinner who she had an alliance with. So she does. But then RuPaul sort of alludes to the fact that I'm not done with you other four girls yet. So then RuPaul says, okay, for the finale, the bottom four queens are going to also participate in like a lip sync smackdown and they can win $50,000. So I really like this season because they're paying, they're giving each queen their due exposure mm-hmm. because they're all winners. Mm-hmm. So they all deserve equal time. I know it'd be nice if there wasn't such flagrant brown nosing though. Like there's no criticism. There's, we can't have any criticism. <laughs> I agree, but I also, like I've said before, you can't say this person's a winner and then criticize them too harshly because you already announced them a winner. That's true, but that's not, you know, you're not, you don't have godlike status. It's but like, I yeah, agree. You, you I won agree. your season, but it's like you can still turn out some raggedy bullshit. Moving on. Oh my God. So it, there, there's so much drag race that I can't watch it because they, they've announced like Belgique, another season of Australia, Canada's Drag Race season three started. We watched two episodes. Uh, no, three. We've watched three so far? Have there been three? No, I think we just watched two. Uh, it doesn't matter because I'm not into it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't even recall these queens' names. Like, none of them are remarkable enough to even stand out in my mind. Love. Some of them are annoying. Oh, many are annoying. I do like Lady Boom Boom. Yeah, I couldn't tell you any of their names. But that's all I have to say about that. You have... 
You put down a list from TIFF, the oh, Toronto yeah. International Film Festival? Yeah, they're doing something. Are, are, are these movies you've seen or movies you're excited about? They're movies that they're announcing like one title at a time. Oh, okay. So you have a list of titles. So what is the significance of The Woman King? Well, that's Viola Davis. Oh. Uh, I, and I believe in John Boyega. Uh, I'm sure you've seen the poster art for that. I, maybe not. But yeah, they've announced that to be a TIFF, which feels like a very TIFF film. The Fablemans? That's this new Steven Spielberg film. Which you've all... No, oh, sorry. No, can't talk about that. Um, <laughs> okay, next, My Policeman. But Steven Spielberg's never gone to TIFF. Well, he doesn't need to. I know, but it's that's such a bizarre... <laughs> I do think it's weird when these super big uh, films or people end up at these film festivals. It's like, well, you don't need the shine or the exposure, but whatever. No, but they need the, they need the prestige... The uh, critical acclaim, yeah. Of, well, of being, uh, gaining entry at some of these things for their awards run or whatever they're trying to do with it. Next, My Policeman... Yeah, I have this book that I haven't read yet, but it's a, a gay romance starring Harry Styles. Oh. Which... Uh, I'd be interested in that. So I, You haven't heard about that? I think I have, actually. Okay. This cat is terrorizing us. Grab her. <laughs> God. <laughs> Next is Something Called Bros. Something Called Bros is premiering at... Oh, is that that gay movie? Yes. Oh, I'm not interested. I'll You're not? I'll definitely watch it. I'm not a fan of Billy Eichner. I'm not at all, but I'm very curious to see. And they have a great supporting cast that I fear will be limited to like cameo sequences. To there are some black artists who I know are in it, and I know I like them. So if only for them, I would watch it. But yeah, Billy Eichner rubs me the wrong way. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay, the Knives Out sequel. Did you see the first Knives Out with Daniel Craig doing that terrible accent? Uh, is that? Like a murder mystery. I might have seen it on an airplane. Oh my god, maybe. I can't believe how apeshit people went for that. I did really enjoy Jamie Lee Curtis in it. Uh, and Tony Collette. But that is uh, coming... The sequel is com- is going to be a tiff. Lastly, on the come up... Uh, Sanaa Lathan uh, directed a film. Oh. I think that was the first movie that uh, Tiff announced. But yeah, I don't understand why they're doing this piecemeal. How- oh, but speaking of Sanaa Lathan, uh, if you want to see some genetics in action, look up Sanaa Lathan's mom. Oh, yeah. They yeah. look like twins. Yeah, it's and it's, the mom is stunning, and she's strange. beautiful, naturally gray hair. Like she has, she doesn't color. No, she's beautiful, but it's, she's gorgeous, they and, and they literally features. look like twins. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so I think that there are more announcements, you know, because Tiff usually has like three hundred movies uh, or more sometimes, and then uh, Venice will announce its lineup on the twenty sixth. Moving on, we did receive questions about advice. <laughs> so what I did is I took several questions and sort of took little uh, pieces from them to make three very basic questions. Mm -hmm. So here we go. (laughs) How do we make friends? I I feel like we have to answer these separately, but we'll probably share the same. Okay. What are you looking at? The questions. I already told you the questions. Oh, because I hadn't thought about... Oh, I guess we didn't talk about... Yeah. Well, I guess we'll rough through it. Okay, so how do we make friends? The... I initially thought I'm the worst person to answer this question because I don't have many friends. Historically, I've always kind of been a loner. But then I thought, oh, I probably am a really good person to answer this question because 
what I think I should do is just sort of say what I think my problem is and why I don't have friends. And then that's like a cautionary tale to people to not do what I do. So what do I think my problem is? I have a fucking attitude. Mm-hmm. Like people do shit or say shit that I don't like. And it's just like, I'm cool on them. Like immediately I just don't even think about them. Another problem I have is I don't ever initiate anything. I don't ever ask people to do anything. Even people I like, it just never occurs to me. And I think part of that goes back to just being a loner. Because, you know, in grade school, I can recall having one friend. In middle school, I had two friends. But then that didn't last long because as I hit puberty and it was very obvious I was gay, then kids didn't want to be around me. In high school, I had like two female friends. But other than that, no one wanted to talk to me. And then in college, I was just like a loner because I was busy. So I think I developed this attitude that like, I just do what I want to do. And you do the same thing. If, mm-hmm. if I want to see a movie, go to a restaurant, if I want to travel somewhere, go on a cruise, whatever, I'll just do it by myself. Mm-hmm. Like, so it never, it, it, it never crosses my mind that, oh, there's this thing I want to do. Let me see who I can invite. No, I would just go do it. I think I used to do that, but there'd always be... I, I don't like feeling held back by somebody being tentative. So, yes, I, I also am kind of a lone wolf and prefer my own company. Right. So I think... But, so, that, but that's been born out of experience because people tend to be... It, it, I think the difficulty for me in making friendship is, you know, you have to get to that place of a certain mutual vulnerability uh, and I feel like I probably personally, I have a problem letting my guard down, uh, in a fashion that would make sense. Well, that's a good point because I don't have that problem. I feel like I can be quite vulnerable, but I think what I experience is people not seeming like I can see why people would want me around, but I feel like often like a clown. And I guess maybe part because I have a fucking attitude is like, I'm tired of being interesting. Like, can other people be interesting? Can other people... Like, it's like, that's great that you want to be around me, but I'm not engaged. I'm not... Like, I often feel like I have to be the one. Oh, yeah. That, that'll cause an automatic shutdown. Be like, well, if you have nothing to contribute to this conversation or even are aware of what I'm trying to talk about... Right. Then, right. then it's just like, I so will... So that creates an environment where you don't feel... Like, whether you're like you or you have a... You know, you're not less inclined to be vulnerable or someone like me who isn't, it still creates an environment where I don't, we don't want to be vulnerable. Right. Because I feel like you won't care. And it's not that I, I feel like I can't be. I think it's just out of years of kind of situations where it's like, well, that was a waste on this person. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, other factors include, so, you know, saying all the things of why we can't make friends, I think sort of will then explain how I think you probably could make friends. We've also, especially for me, I've moved around a lot. Mm-hmm. like as an adult like going off to college and then even during college I moved once to out of state then came back then moved out of state again and then within that state like moved to somewhere else came back moved to California then I think having lived in LA for the past 11 years logistics play a big part in making friends because you know nine miles in LA could take an hour and a half to travel by yeah. car. Yeah. So it's just very difficult to, you know, get to people. So propinquity is a big factor. Like every relationship. So flipping that around, I think 
what would make sense to me on how to make friends is to be patient and forgiving with people and give people slack. Like, y- yes. you know, when like if people rub you the wrong way or, or maybe they don't get you right away, give them a chance. And, you know, it's funny because as rigid as I am with that, I often say, like, people complain a lot about ha- having a hard time finding a hairstylist. So a lot of people bounce like, oh, that person did my hair, I didn't like it, so I went to a new person. And then you keep bouncing around. But the reality is... You need to give that person who did your hair, because let's say you go to a new person, they cut your hair and you like it 75%. If you gave them a chance and went back and gave them feedback on the 25% that wasn't right, then maybe next time it'll be 90%. But if you keep jumping around, you're always going to be at that 75% or even lower satisfaction rate. So it's like you have to give people a chance. Well, it's about, and I don't. It's, well, you know, that's about clear concise communication right. and i think that there's a fear of confrontation nobody wants to tell you know it's like this person's uh, uh an expert in their craft and you're coming at them like they don't know what they're doing but you didn't like what they did to you so it's fair and but, i think uh, that relates to also understanding that not i think another thing i have a hard time with is reconciling the fact that some people may only be in your life for a certain reason so maybe that person is good for talking to you about movies, or maybe that person's good for going out drinking, or maybe that person's good like to go on a run with you, or they go like like hiking, or maybe we like to work together. Mm-hmm. Or I had friends, you know, not many, but there were one or two people who I would study with. Mm-hmm. So I think being open to accepting the fact that not every person is going to be like your best friend who's like integrated into so much of your life the other thing too is when you're young so you had a much more traditional college experience than i did like you lived in the dorms and you made Uh, some really close friends there but it's also like that environment is so unique to a time and a place and a situation it's a hothouse yeah but now that it's like i'm a 43 year old man i'm very busy i have a career i have outside interest in projects i have a home to maintain a body to maintain like it was true right Uh like It's not like when you were younger and you can be up all night and eat like shit and never exercise. It's like, well, now I have to think about like my health. And so now I have to think about my health. Well, but you know what I mean? It's like, I don't have a ton of time. You're like now a warning. Now a warning. (laughs) So yeah, it's like, I don't know. There, you know, last night we hung out with some people and Mm -hmm. it was nice because it's something we don't normally do. And like, we were just sitting on their rooftop patio and like, drinking wine and talking and that was lovely Mm -hmm. but you know can i do that every night no and i think when i was much you know 23 years ago in college i had a lot of time to Mm -hmm. just bullshit and we don't have that now so getting back to me never making or initiating anything i feel like it's important to make plans because i'm the type who says oh we should hang out Mm -hmm. and then or someone will tell me that i'm like yeah we should well should is not the same as like Let's make a plan. Let's say on Sunday at three o'clock, we'll meet for coffee. I don't ever do that. Mm -hmm. So then the next question is, how can someone be our friend? (laughs) So I I guess what would someone have to do to really like make you feel like, oh, you could be my friend? This is your last chance to impress me. Yeah. (laughs) I feel unfortunately is maybe a bad practice you and I have had, but um, I don't know. I don't think I have a concrete answer for that. I think, well, I think relating to all the things I've said we do or I, that, that I do that make it difficult, 
probably a person who has to pick up the slack. So like you probably have to initiate things mm -hmm. like, like literally ask to do something very specific, like at this time on this day, we're going to do this. Um, yeah. And I think just be like interesting and engaging. And like, I don't know, a lot of people are nice. A lot of people are nice. You know, I, I, I probably also have, uh, I think a tendency to get overexcited if I do like somebody's vibe. And then I, I, probably become automatically overwhelming because I'm like, oh, you know this? Well, let's talk about these 35,000 things. <laughs> well, yeah, I think for you, a problem is that you have a very extreme in in interest in film and literature, but more so film. I mean, it's overwhelming. Even for me, I still am like, oh God, it's a lot, but I'm used to it. So yeah, I, but getting back to what other people could do, I think just picking up the slack and and then just being a little more patient with us too, probably, or, you know, individually, yeah, yeah. like I am busy. I have a lot of things to do, but we can always find time, mm -hmm. right? You can find time and do things you want to do. Mm -hmm. It's just, I don't have time to waste, but it's not like, oh, I'm so important, that, but it's just like, I really, I think as a function of being a loner and doing so many things on my own, what I really enjoy is to just sort of chill. So sometimes the idea of like, oh, I'm, I'm really enjoying just like relaxing and then like, oh, you want me to get up and then go to a bar? And that's not really that appealing. I think doing things that don't involve chaos, like loud, dark places with a bunch of people would really appeal to me. Like doing things when the sun is still up mm -hmm. that <laughs> where two people can actually like communicate without screaming. Sure. Yes. That's more conducive for friendship. I do. Uh, I'm, I'm somewhat of a night person, uh, but that's not you know i'm up very early it, it's like you know i'm surprised i, I mean i couldn't even count it on it would take less than probably three fingers to count the times that someone said like oh let's meet for coffee early in the morning oh yeah nobody does that i mean that hasn't happened but that would be something i would absolutely do because i'm up every day by six nobody and, walks in la yeah like i could easily go grab coffee at six thirty-seven any day mm -hmm. uh, because i you know obviously don't need to be working that early I know, but just, you know, 6 a.m. in this city is not a sexy time. No. But friends don't need to be sexy, this is which true. is another This issue. is true, but I think as gay men in a couple, uh, it, I think that complicates our ability to make friends. We've talked about this before, we but have. I feel like, yeah, I, I think being gay, there's this awkward tension of like, it seems like people don't want to interact with you unless they find you attractive. Mm -hmm. I feel like I might be guilty of that, maybe not as overtly, but... Yeah, obviously someone you're more attracted to or drawn to will get your attention more. So it's like, that's a problem that I think I have. I'll speak for myself. No, but, same. I, but I, yeah. yeah. But, 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 but that's a terrible habit and friends don't need to be sexy. And uh, moving on to the question that you weren't fully prepared for, but I did mention, someone asked, what are movies that depict friendship in a way that resonates with us? And initially I couldn't think, but then you offered a suggestion that actually would be for you, Perfect yeah. for me, which is the film Beaches. Mm -hmm. And I remember watching that as a kid and getting so emotional. And it wasn't because the lady died of cancer. And I think at the time it didn't make sense. But every time I would watch it, I would get very emotional. And now as an adult, I realized that it was this long-standing friendship that transcended like propinquity, it transcended frequency. It was just like, we're connected. And every time we meet, it's like... It's like no time has passed. Mm -hmm. And being there for that person, like 
Beth's character is with Barbara Hershey when she's sick, like she sort of drops everything to go be with her. Um, that really resonates with me. Mm-hmm. And then you also helped me think about um, that movie, the not the Breakfast Club, uh, the the Broken Hearts Club. Oh, with that, Dean, with Dean with, Cain with and Dean Zach Cain Braff. And Zach Braff. And I remember watching that and thinking, like, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have this little ragtag group of friends? And in college, I didn't have that, but that would have been the time. Like now, it's you know, it's too late. Because quite frankly, if I meet someone my age who's like just has nothing but time and just wants to chill and play video games and smoke weed, that probably isn't very appealing to me. Mm-hmm. Like, don't you have a career and goals and outside interests? And mm-hmm. don't you want to grow? And not that people can be content with where they are, but it, it just feels like that's a red flag to me. Mm-hmm. Like, if you have, like, if you're just always, oh, another word that is a big turnoff is when people say they're bored. Oh yeah. Automatically. Oh, I, if you say to me you're bored, like I will just immediately like <laughs> drag you out of my mind. Yeah. It, Were you able to think of any films? Well, I think there are a couple different categories as I want to do. Uh-huh. Uh, but as, as far as like the queer fantasy I wanted to experience based on films I saw, you know, the films like, and, and of course, a lot of these were very white because that was what if was available to me in a small town if I could find it. Very white, very... Uh, I was uh, hobbled by HIV. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, things like Longtime Companion and yeah. Jeffrey. It's just like, oh, when I'm an adult, I will be able to have these friendships and this kind of um, camaraderie. And Queers Folk, uh, of course... The, the, a, a, the HBO a, a series. series, but again, but, yes, but yeah. again, also very white. And I, I'm from Minnesota, and a, a very small town in Minnesota. And I remember going, fleeing as soon as I could uh, to college in the, the Twin Cities, and uh, being immediately disillusioned by you know a mostly uh, white gay population that was not uh, advocating for friendship in any kind of uh, real way. Because uh, my only real friends I felt from that period were the uh, straight people that I still correspond with to this day. Uh, but so th- there are those kind of films. And then there are, you know, films about friendships between women always resonated because there's uh, like steel magnolias, but every now and then you'd see something about two men, like the killing fields, or I, I think something that always made me very sad was stand by me. Cause realizing, mm. cause I had uh, in high school, very close knit friendships I was friends with all the people that smoked weed and dropped out of school, however. Uh, but realizing at a young age that, oh, this won't transcend time. Uh, I will leave and it'll be like how it feels and stand by me. Maybe I'll come back sometimes and maybe not. But Well, that's that. So uh, in the sorry to this man section, I, there were several comments on the review we did for Nope. Mm-hmm. Because I had said that young Keith David looks like Tevin Campbell. And in the video, when I show young Keith David, it's a portrait of him. Mm -hmm. And it's actually Keith David. So there were comments like, that picture is of young Keith David. Yes, I know that. But in the film, we actually see a scene where a person playing a young Keith David is in the horse stable with a young Daniel Kaluuya. Mm -hmm. So that person playing young Keith David is who I was referring to, mm-hmm. but the image I show is actually a picture of young Keith David. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I know that, but both of them still look like Tevin Campbell. So that was the point I was trying to make. Poor Tevin. Uh, poor Tevin. 
with such a beautiful voice. Yeah. And he's working again, so good for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so films released we didn't cover. My Old School. I saw this out of Sundance, and it a very interesting concept, but uh, I didn't want to rewatch it, so I didn't even, I don't think I even brought it up to you. But oh. it started, there was going to be a different version, I think, in the late 90s, also starring Alan Cumming. But, uh, so they, they, I feel like this compromised product, it's about, um, in, I think, 1993, Scotland, this huge scandal about this kid that suddenly shows up who says his name is Brandon Lee. So, you know, right after the real Brandon Lee died, mm. who looked very odd and strange. And it turns out he went back, this it was some 32-year-old that went back to high school and fooled everybody. Uh, oh, I am familiar with this Yeah. Movie. And w- w- was I watching information about it with you? Probably. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the real person, Brian... Oh, because I read about the real person. And yes. he, he refused to be on film, but he recorded... He, he spoke about this experience and why he did it. And Alan Cumming is there. It's, it's the actual man's voice, but he's... Depicting uh, him. He's depicting yeah, him. Yeah. Uh, and Lulu is affiliated with it as Oh, well. Lulu. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that came out. And again, that sounds a lot more interesting, I think, than it is. But uh, I was kind of bored with it. Next, the Nan movie. Uh, I asked you if you wanted to see this because I know, I know that you kind of like Catherine Tate. But it's a, yeah. a movie version of one of her characters, and uh, I, it was a busy week. Okay, movies we watch for fun. So <sighs> last week we talked about like Michelle Williams and like does she even act? And then you mentioned in last week's podcast that she's in a movie called Wrath, a Seven Deadly Sins story. So we watched it that same day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that shit was interesting. And it's so simple. Michelle Williams plays an attorney who starts dating another attorney. And we find out that he's a very jealous, possessive person. But it's just on a level that's just insane. Like, it makes no sense. And then he is kind of violent towards her. So she tries to break up with him. He tries to kill her, but she kills him. The end. It's like sleeping with the enemy on warp speed. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's no time to develop anything. So it just seems like chaos. And then her mother is played by... Tina Knowles Lawson, who's mm-hmm. Beyonce's actual mother. Um, so um, neither one, I think, is meant for the big screen or the small screen. <laughs> They're, they, you can tell that all of the work was probably allocated to them memorizing their lines and then just getting them out yeah there's no acting happening (laughs) tina knowles you know the casting is very compelling right because i feel like tina knowles lawson is a mother figure to uh michelle williams so i'm sure that they had um a nice time doing this film but yeah tina knowles lawson's uh line delivery kind of reminded me of kennedy davenport oh my god it's so funny you say that because i was watching on youtube this morning a compilation of kennedy's funniest moments Mm -hmm. and i was thinking that do you remember when kennedy did that one runway challenge where she was dressed up like a bird on fire yes do you remember what she said the inspiration for the costume was no she said she's distance child she's like it was a long night of hooking and the trade didn't like the session. So he had gutted me and set me on fire. But I didn't die. I crystallized. And bitch, I came back as a glamazon to stomp the runway. <laughs> but the way she says that is kind of like how uh, Tina Knowles Lawson delivers her line. Yes, and lots of chopping of vegetables, but only one vegetable. Okay, uh, Tina... or. Uh, yeah, the mom, Tina Knowles Lawson, her character, they have this mansion. Mm-hmm. It, it almost looks like 
Bill Gates mansion on the coast. And she, they're in this enormous kitchen, mm-hmm. like this luxe gourmet kitchen. And every time we see, it's not just her character, it's Michelle Williams' character and the bad guy, mm-hmm. whose character name, I think his name is Anthony Cooper or... Uh, the actor. Yeah. The actor. Yeah. I, I liked him. But... Each one of them, there's a scene where they're chopping vegetables, and it's just like one vegetable, and no other ingredients are nearby. <laughs> no, but Tina Knowles Lawson is very intently chopping. And her outfits are all like these very fitted jumpsuits that clearly she is like snatched up in them. Mm-hmm. Like she is full, like full body spangs. Um, she looks nice, but it's a little overdone. The one thing I will say is. You know, Lifetime is not known for having these black women and their hair situations on point. But I will say Michelle Williams looks great. Her hair looks great. She did look good. So I don't know if in her contract she was like, there needs to be a budget for my personal hairstylist to make sure I look right. But she does look great. I did enjoy watching the movie, but I don't think... Well, Antonio Cooper is his name. Antonio Cooper. And then we didn't talk about Romeo Miller. Oh, Romeo Miller's in it, Masterpiece Son. I thought he was fine. Um, he's yeah. more eye candy than anything, probably. Yeah, it, I think the limitations that in the script benefit him because he doesn't have anything really dumb to say. Yeah, and then, but I was going to say that Michelle Williams, I don't know. Her name is Chastity in it. But, you know, Toni Braxton is now a Lifetime Queen. She's part of that series called Fallen Angels Murder Club. Oh, God. And you didn't watch any of it, but I did. The basic premise is there is like a, like a book club, but they're all ex-felons. And then they're reading these books, deciding like if they want to try to... Like they're murder mystery books, and they're deciding if they want to try to solve the mystery. So it's almost like kind of like scandal-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Tony's not a great actor either. So I feel like Michelle Williams might have a career in like lifetime a movies. niche market yeah. yeah i think you commented when we were watching that it was awkward watching her be so sexual oh that's the other thing you know she, michelle williams is a pretty successful gospel artist mm-hmm. and she in destiny's child was kind of the more like conservative one mm-hmm. but i think that might have also been because she did have christian music and she's not she can't dance at the level of Mich- uh, beyonce and kelly so I feel like she was just kind of the more reserved one because of that. Mm-hmm. But in this movie, she's very sexual. And it's very jarring because it'll just be like, she just wants to get on this man and ride him. And <laughs> like out of nowhere. So that was interesting. Moving on, um, something called Flesh and Bone. Oh yeah, I had started that the week that James Caan died and finally finished it uh, with Meg Ryan and Dennis Quaid. Oh, I saw part of that. It's okay. It was directed by Steve Close. Oh, and then is that Mark Hamill? Or, That's the next film. But oh, Steve Close, who directed The Fabulous Baker Boys, uh, Flesh and Bone was his follow-up. It was just okay. Is but... Sean Connery in Flesh and Bone? No. Sean oh. Connery... So, for some reason, it came up and uh, I wanted to watch something casually, but The Presidio, which I'd never seen, starring Sean Connery and Meg Ryan as his daughter and Mark Harmon uh, as a San Francisco... Uh, policeman a detective actually. you were really bothered by mark Harmon's hair but i thought he looked really handsome he looked he looks like a square don johnson to me and i know my mother likes mark Harmon. he was just fine he seemed miscast to me lastly we watched anything's possible the movie billy porter directed and wrote or didn't did oh. not write no and actually i think that's the a strength of that film is the script so we saw the, there are billboards for this movie in LA. So we saw it and, and we had heard about it. And of course, for me, I thought, oh, this is going to be, because anytime Billy Porter's on screen, he's always so extra, which I don't like. So I assumed this movie was going to be 
sort of tacky and loud. But I actually quite liked it. It's about it was a, very sweet. It's yeah. very sweet. It's about a young woman in high school. She's trans. And she starts dating this other boy in high school. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like the complications in their relationship. There are weaknesses in the story because at first the entire school is very supportive of her as being trans. And then when she starts like dating the boy, everyone's very like, like supportive. But then also there's a point where people turn on them and they're quite transphobic and homophobic. So it kind of reminded me of that movie I watched that's based on a musical with the boy whose mom buys him the red shoes that I thought was Dear Evan Hansen, but it's something else. I'll have to think about it. But anyway, it's it's kind of like that. Like, what community are they in where the school kids are so accepting of her, but then also on the drop of a dime they aren't? And then there's they bring up issues of, like, trans... Like, uh, specifically for her, like, this trans woman using the bathroom. So they make her use, like, a gender-neutral bathroom in the basement and... Some of the messaging, I think, was handled in kind of in a clunky way. But overall, I thought um, it was a very sweet movie. And the main actor, the girl... Uh, I, Ava Rain. I thought she was quite captivating. I agree. And, and I, I could see her being in, like a, in a comedy. I liked her chemistry with uh, is it Abukar Ali, the play Call. Yeah, yeah. And, a, and her mother. Oh, yeah, her mother. Um, Ren- Renee Elise Goldsberry. I liked. Uh, who we know from something... Oh, she's in Hamilton. Hamilton. But uh, in Tick, Tick, Boom as well. Okay. I'm going to let you go through the projects of interest while I step away for one second. What's the movie? The movie you're thinking about, uh, is it Everybody's Talking About Jamie? Everybody's Talking I never About saw Jamie. That. You didn't see it, but that movie also fell flat for me because everyone in the school is sort of, it, it, it's in reverse. They're all like picking on him. And then at the very end, like with seemingly no development, the boy the little gay boy takes the straight boy bully kind of to prom. And then everyone's like, this is great. And it's like, hold up, hold up, hold up. Y'all were bullying me and calling me faggot and every other word. And then now all of a sudden you're like supportive of me Mm -hmm. and like wearing this dress to prom. That's how anything's possible felt in reverse. Like, yeah, it does in its third act get a little messy when it's like, Oh, you're at this very kind of not rudimentary, but this very clear eyed, uh, level i wish they had just kind of stayed for that, sure but that being that said i would recommend that it's on amazon prime so you can talk about the projects of interest well some of them because i thought there was one you would be interested in but um well you can save that to them um spike jones i didn't realize spike jones has not had any projects since 2013's her uh with joaquin phoenix but he is developing some very secretive netflix series that uh there have been reports from uh the sets being very uh like a lot going on uh, then Gregory Nicotero, who is a makeup artist, uh, who's worked on a ton of stuff, uh, announced that he's trying to make a film about the making of George A. Romero's Night of the Living Dead uh, in a, f- a style that's much like Tim Burton's Ed Wood, uh, in a, you know, about the making of Plan 9 from Outer Space. Uh, so that's I think, could be interesting. Uh, Nicotero's directed lo- lots of episodes of The Walking Dead, uh, but yeah, uh, there's a Belgian filmmaker who I'm, who's directed, I don't know, like definitely over 10 films, I think works too much. I don't really, oh, like, works too much. I don't, I, <laughs> I don't think I love most of his films, but he did a film in Joaquin Lafosse. Uh, he did a film that's pretty good with, uh, Isabelle Huppert, of course, back in 2006 called Private Property. Uh, he has announced a new project yet again called Un Silence, uh, 
uh, starring uh, Manuel DeVos and Daniel Atoyle. Uh, and those two actors, of course, you know, I'd probably watch anything for. So you know, that's interesting, but uh, I don't know. I just, I think at one point I saw his career going in a different direction. But, uh, and then the last thing that uh, Apple TV is doing a Godzilla television series uh, and Kurt and Wyatt Russell have joined the cast. Oh. They have not. Your mom I, will be excited about that. The article I read was they have not worked together uh, since 1998 Soldier, which I often talk to you about because it's not a good film, uh, but my mother loves Kurt Russell. Yep. And would I'd come home sometimes and she'd have that movie on, on mute. Just to see him. Because <laughs> she didn't like it, but she liked how he looked in it. All right. Unfortunately, there are entries in the obituary section. So, Tareen Black died. He is best known for being on Hill Street Blues. He, I, um, I, I think he did like many, many seasons because he's in like almost like 150 episodes. But um, he was also like on What's Happening, which I used to watch in Sanford and Son. Um, and I think, I always thought he looked like Teddy Pendergrass. <laughs> but he um, was also, I, I didn't know this about him, that he was a huge advocate for adoption services. Mm -hmm. And he, this was in LA County. He was asked to do work for like the LA County adoption services, whatever. And he struggled. So he wanted to adopt and struggled because he was an unmarried man, but ultimately he pushed through and he, uh, um, ultimately using that word again, adopted 10 children. Oh my God. Plus he had two from like a marriage. So he, so like Angelina, he survived and by Mia, Mia Farrow. Yeah. He survived by tw 12 children and many, many grandchildren. But, um, yeah, I think he was in his eighties. Next is Shanka Dukare, who we know from the Elvis movie. She plays big mama Thornton. Oh. She died. She was only 44. And, um, that was, I think her only role. God. But she uh, definitely, I remember her. I, I thought she had a great look and she sounds great. She sings a hound dog in the yeah. movie. Yeah, isn't she playing Rosetta Tharp? Oh. Is that, isn't that, I thought that was who that was supposed to be. Oh. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, and then lastly, Rebecca Balding died. She was in her 70s, but people know her from Soap and, um, God, what's that other movie? Uh, Charmed. But, um, she has a very recognizable face to me, so when I saw her picture... Charmed the series with Rose McGowan and Shannon Doherty. And uh, Alyssa Milano. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so goodbye to those people. Oh. Okay, so the secret movie this time around was my selection. And I was very, very happy to see this because I love this movie. Well, I was a little annoyed because every time I pick a movie, you have like an attitude about it because it's not. No, I don't. You, yeah, you do. Anytime I pick something silly, you're like. Well, if it's just like something so rant, B Boy Blues, I think was a good pick, but uh, the, you know. Well, I think part of it is like talking about a movie that I think I could have fun talking about. So you know, I'm not as pretentious as you are. So I, when I think about a movie, I think, oh, it'd be funny to talk about. So even like a shitty movie, like the two Lifetime ones we did, what. But the one was very fun for me to talk about. But anyway, I discovered this movie because I was reading a list uh, curated by Michael Musto, who people may know as the storied writer for The Village Voice. Mm -hmm. He had a list of like movies, like camp movies that you probably never heard of. And each uh, movie had like a short description. And for this movie, 
<laughs> the description he wrote was a bald whore on the lamb. Mm-hmm. And then there was like the word pedophile in there. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, I have to watch this. Mm-hmm. So the movie's called The Naked Kiss. Which I've actually talked about before because I watched Shock Quarter sometime in the past year. It's a 1964 film directed by Samuel Fuller. Who's a, a favorite. Yep. Starring Constance Towers uh, and then... Um, who's uh, the pedophile? Uh, Michael Dante. Michael Dante. Uh, but then and then who's the cop? Anthony Isley, yeah. who looks just like Michael Murphy to me. Uh, and then a whole a bevy of supporting women that are notable alums uh, all over the place, including, including Virginia Gray, Patsy Kelly, who played Laura Louise in Rosemary's Baby. Um, uh, what's his what, uh, woman that would go to, on to marry Russ Myers, Edie Williams. Uh. Okay, I really enjoyed this movie. The basic story is about a prostitute named Kelly, and she has she's trying to get away from her pimp. So the opening of the film, which is a great great scene, which we can talk about. Uh, the opening of the film is 1961 and she's beating up her pimp. Mm-hmm. She takes the money he owes her, not a penny more, and then she leaves. And then we flash forward to 1963 and she shows up in this little small town and she, we have to talk about how she, there's a lot of innuendo and a lot of like uh, metaphors used, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. she is there to like set up a new little life as a prostitute and she meets like the town like cop and has you know, provide services. And he basically tells her, like, you cannot be a hoe in my town. He's like, you can't set up shop here. You cannot set he up says shop here. Like, doesn't he say something like, they'll chop me up like a ripe banana or something? So she looks in the mirror and realizes, like, this is not the life she wants for herself. So she gets a job at the uh, local, like, children's hospital for, like, kids with disabilities. I think there's some insinuation there because she's told that the... Uh, the person who runs the town, which was uh, started by his great-great-grandfather, whatever, the Grant, uh, J.L. Grant, uh, he runs everything that's affiliated with the hospital. Sure, but okay, but finishing the story, she gets a job in this hospital, and then it seems like her life is on track to, you know, get away from prostituting. When she meets, like, the town, like, the great-great-grandson of the man you just mentioned, who's, like, the super-rich guy, a philanthropist, all, uh, and, and, like, the perfect bachelor... And he falls in love with her even, and then wants to marry her even after she tells him that she's a, she used to be a prostitute. So, of course, you're like, hmm, he's very accepting of her. Why is that? It's because he's a damn pedophile. Mm-hmm. And he thinks that if he marries a prostitute... An abnormal woman. because If he marries an abnormal woman, then she will. It, she's accustomed to dealing with like perverts. Mm-hmm. So, she won't judge him. So yeah. she won't judge him. But the gag is, um, not only does she judge him, but she kills him. Yeah. Because she witness, she doesn't witness him, but she, it, 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 it's implied that she witnesses him molesting a young girl. Mm-hmm. So she kills him. She goes to jail. And the final act of the film is her trying to like clear her name, mm-hmm. which is not, she's not very good at <laughs> she's it. She's not clearing her name because she did kill someone. Well, we need to talk about that. But she, um, she, she does end up getting her name cleared. In a very clunky way. And then she's exonerated of the crime, which is outrageous. Because she did, like you said, kill someone. And then we see her leave the town, the end. Mm -hmm. Um, I was howling. There are so many funny lines because there's so much innuendo. It's very campy. But I think probably the best way to start off is I think this feels like the original Showgirls. I was struck. So I haven't watched this in years 
Uh, but the first, I remember it very clearly because I rented it from this place in Minneapolis called Cinema Revolution, which is long, long, long gone with Jodorowsky's Santa Sangre and then being blown away because the, the opening scene is her wig being snatched off because she's bald because her, her procurer, as she calls it, uh, took vengeance on her and drugged her and shaved her, <laughs> shaved her head. Um, but yes, I was struck by how many similarities there are to Verhoeven's Showgirls. Um, which I don't recall Joe Esterhaus, who wrote Showgirls, referencing Naked Kiss as a template, but it's there in so many ways. This film is the the acting a little crunchy, um, the editing's interesting at times. Um, it does feel camp, but I was uh, I think I, mean, I was very engaged. I think it's very beautifully shot. He, you know, because he used something that was considered experimental at the time of that opening scene with a handheld camera. So the prostitute's name is Kelly, and when she shows up to the small town, like when she first walks into like the town square, we see that there's a big sign for the fashion show for handicapped children. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I knew. Like, uh oh, um, Constance Towers is beautiful, and I thought every time I saw her face, and she does. There are a lot of close-ups and a lot of. Her like giving like serving looks mm-hmm. and eyes and mouth, I just could not not see Joan Crawford. She's it, but it was a few. It was a con- combination of people too. It's very Joan, but there are times like in a fantastic scene where she beats up Virginia Gray. She looked like she was giving me Jane Russell there. Um, I thought of early uh, young Maggie Smith or Vanessa Redgrave too. So when Kelly gets to the town, the way she's like selling her body is that she's saying she's selling champagne. He's like, are you a traveling sales lady? (laughs) Yeah. And it's a very interesting scene. And the name of her champagne is Angel Foam. Angel Foam. And then she's selling the champagne, but really she's selling pussy. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they have that transaction. And then after she realizes that she doesn't want a prostitute anymore, she's looking for a place to live. And she passes this house that says like, you know... It says something funny. It like, says something about pleasant rooms. Yeah, for pleasant room for rent. And the lady who's renting the room is like this old lady who's like delusional. Because mm-hmm. even Kelly says, like, don't you need a reference? Like, I'm a stranger to you. And the old lady says, come here. Look in this mirror. Your reference is that face. <laughs> <laughs> she, yes, that was great. She's played by Betty Bronson, who um, played Peter Pan, I believe, as a, a young woman in the silent era uh that scene was giving i kept thinking like oh if they recast this today i'd love to see that with tina fey and kathy bates as those two women oh god <laughs> well i don't know because i don't know that tina fey because uh constance towers is beautiful she's yes. and the way her character sort of carries herself it reminded me of like june cleaver because mm-hmm. everything is like mm, lovely yes. very composed it, it, it's a very interesting portrayal. She's she becomes this like feminine superwoman scion for the community. Getting back to the lady who rents her the room, she uh, it, it's very like Mrs. Harris goes to Paris because yes. she had like a man who she wanted to marry, but he went off to war and died, but she doesn't accept it. So she has this dress form in the guest room that's dressed up with her ex beau's like military garb, and she's being very open with Kelly. And then at one point, she's like, you know, I realized the president was right. Charlie is dead and we'll never get married. Yeah. Like, this dialogue is out of control. The dialogue is, is salty, uh, but a lot of fun. Okay, so there's quite a bit of time spent in this hospital for handicapped children where <laughs> Kelly is like a nurse's aide. And the way that these nurses talk about the kids, I couldn't even write all the lines down, but it's stuff like, one more operation and that... Uh, <laughs> 
that boy will have straight feet. And then there are scenes of them bathing these kids and like... That Patsy Kelly takes a phone call. Oh, this is for plastic surgery. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, so the turning point is when the cop who she had... His name is Grant? Griff. Griff. The, the, the cop who she had sex with like early in the film... When he, he finds out that she's getting close to, um, what's the man's name? She's Charlie. Who's the, the pedophile? Grant. Grant. Oh, Griffin Grant. Mm-hmm. That's right. When Griff realizes that Kelly's getting close to Grant, he gets upset because he's like, I'm not going to let my friend well, he, like be with a prostitute. Grant, his holdover Grant is that he saved him in the war, right? Yeah. So, um, so that's a turning point, but then there's a lot happening because one of the nurses working with Kelly, there is across the river, like on the other side of town, like in Twin Peaks, there's like a brothel that's run by this woman named Candy. Played by Virginia Gray. Who looks severe. Well, she looks like she watches what she eats. Yeah. She looks like she needs to eat something. Uh, she... Because Kelly knows about that life, she doesn't want her co-worker to become like a a, a prostitute. So she goes over to that brothel and whoops Candy's ass. And that scene was pretty funny. It's pretty good. Uh, Yeah, she beats the hell out of her. And takes... Because um, Candy is the the brothel madam, spies uh, this character named Buff, uh, who's like dead in the head, uh, that works with Constance Towers... Kelly, but she's tired of the work because it's depressing her, and she's where she wears one of um, Kelly's dresses out on the town, and Candy sees her and she's like, "Oh, you'd make a good bonbon girl." That's what they call them. Yeah. And she gives her twenty five dollars, uh, and Constance Towers stuffs that money in Virginia Gray's mouth. Yeah. We need to pause for one second. Okay. So the. But before we um, finish with the brothel, there's a scene, the, the women in the brothel, like the Bon Bon girls are very aggressive. Like the patrons, there's one scene where like one of the girls karate chops a man to, <laughs> it's, I mean, it's slapsticky at some points. Yeah. Okay. So after Grant asks Kelly to marry him, and this is after she told him she's a hoe. Immediately he's like, I love you. I love you. I love you. <laughs> She goes home and she's talking to that dress form, like of named Charlie. I think that's named Charlie, the 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 lady of the house, her old boyfriend or whatever. And I thought that was a really funny scene because she's trying to debate whether or not she should marry him. Mm-hmm. That was a good one. Um, okay, the hospital for the handicapped children. Again, a lot of time spent there, and these kids are working on like a musical production mm-hmm. and. These poor kids in every scene are wearing these pirate hats. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. But there's a moment where uh, Kelly's like, conduct, no. Kelly, when Kelly goes back to tell Grant, yes, I'll marry you, she puts on like Beethoven. She puts on the Fifth Symphony, yep. And she's conducting the symphony, but this bitch is way off. She's <laughs> offbeat in every possible way, yeah. But she is just ecstatic, like, oh, isn't today a beautiful day? <laughs> but it's like she woke him up. The, his butler's like, it's 6 a.m. I thought her his butler was interesting because he, he seemed gay to mm-hmm. me. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, what I meant about the children's hospital, them putting on the show, when they finally do the show, it's... It, uh, it, 
it's not really a production. It's just these kids standing in the classroom singing and her. they're singing. And then Kelly starts singing. Mm-hmm. Kelly, uh, Constance Towers has a beautiful voice. I read that she originally wanted to be an opera singer. I mean, it was, the song is laughable because we were making fun of it while it was happening. Yeah. But her voice is It's pretty good. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, uh, when, so Kelly gets her wedding dress because the lady whose house she lives in is also a seamstress. So she makes her a dress. She puts it in a box and then she goes over to Grant's to show him. And when she gets there, he's acting kind of weird. And then all of a sudden, this little girl runs out. Mm-hmm. And then there's a, like two close-up shots of their faces. Mm-hmm. And like he's trying to explain to her what's happening and about how he... It's, it's, in that, it's coded in that way that... I can't imagine an audience at the time... Like most of the stuff you can pick up on quite easily in this film. But it's, it's kind of like in Suddenly Last Summer when Elizabeth Taylor's screaming, we procured for him. It's like, but what do you mean exactly? You don't think that was clear to people? Because to me in Suddenly Last Summer and in this movie, it's very obvious. To, to us now in a contemporary sure, world. But sure. back then, can you imagine like these, these suburbanites going to this film and being like, huh? <laughs> yeah, I thought like the the fact that there's this little girl running and he looks scared was very obvious that he was doing something inappropriate with this little girl. But anyway, Kelly kills him, and then we see that the next scene is like the newspaper says Grant is dead, slain by prostitute. <laughs> oh, you know what? She hits him with the phone, and there's that great like thump on the piano when uh-huh. she does that. Th- that just reminded me. I wonder if John Waters is referencing that in Serial Mom. I also felt like this kind of felt like Hitchcock to me. Oh, yeah. No? Yeah. Oh. Well, and uh, maybe like cheaper Hitchcock, like William Castle's Homicidal. There's, um, we see like these girls skipping rope. And I thought those are some creepy ass girls. They reminded me of those girls in like the Nightmare on Elm Street movie talking mm-hmm. about one, two, Freddy's coming for you. <laughs> and then there's a baby in a, a perambulator that's just sitting out on the street. Oh, my too. God. Then we get twice. There's just a random baby in a stroller on the street. Like, who is this baby's mama? Well, because motherhood is normalizing. And she, we, it's revealed that Kelly can't have children. And yet it's like the world, <laughs> the suburban world she's in is like trying to impress that upon her. Um, so it was very frustrating once Kelly is in jail because she, well, first of all, she killed a man. Yeah. Like, she murdered him. She had no, she wasn't being attacked. It was not self-defense. It was just a crime of passion and rage. So she should be in trouble. Mm -hmm. She should have just reported it to the police. So then, of course, she's sitting in jail. And Griff is like, you can't even get your story straight. Like, what is going on? Who's this girl he molested? He doesn't use the word molest. but And she can't, like, conjure up the image of the girl. She can't even say how old the girl was, what she looked like. And then finally, one day while Kelly is looking out of the jailhouse window... (laughs) She sees the girl mm-hmm. and she's yelling at her, mm-hmm. like, come here, which obviously scared the girl away. Then when one day she uh, she finally convinces Griff to look for the girl because Buff mm-hmm. gives information because the old the brothel Candy. lady, Candy, who Kelly beat up, originally she comes to the jail and tells Griff, oh, yeah, Kelly... She came to see me because she wanted to come up with this like blackmail scheme to murder Grant, mm-hmm. which is not true. So then, of course, the cop is like, oh, bitch, you plan to kill him. But then Buff, the girl who with the $25, who mm-hmm. that's why Candy got beat up. That girl finally comes and says, no, Candy didn't go there for that. She went there to. And the, the catch is that Griff has a close connection to Buff because of her father. 
So it was a war. So it's because of that, that Griff says, okay, let me find this girl. And they do like a scene where there's a lineup of girls, which I thought was funny because all these little young white girls, mm-hmm. they all look the same. Right. And, some, and even me, I'm like, I don't even know which one it is. And then it's the one she those, finally chooses, them, like, I wouldn't have been able to tell. If there's one with those bad te- those teeth that she look like. She has bad, bad teeth. Well, because she has bad, she has like bad teeth and they look like they're adult teeth. They look, it, lo- <laughs> it looks like she probably had recently lost her, her children's teeth in the front and then they so they're growing they, in crooked or until, they put fake ones in <laughs> yeah they look really bad but anyway so then when they pick the girl the cop just lets kelly talk to this girl to to scream at her in and initially she's screaming at her so the girl gets scared and runs away and then griff tells her you need to approach like i know you can't have kids and you're not a mother but you need to approach her like a mother so they try round two and then Kelly's being more nurturing. And then the girl just spills all the tea. Mm-hmm. Oh, I remember you. You're the lady with the box. Yeah, he was playing a game with me where he said no one could know. It's a secret. And then the next scene is Griff telling Kelly, you've been released of all charges. And then the next scene is Kelly leaving the jail. And the entire community is there because she's like a hero. But they look, they're not cheering for her. It's they're crazy. not cheering for her. They're- it's Somebody, I read the insert essay for the Criterion film and they compared it to them looking like Invasion of the Body Snatchers out there. Yeah, it was interesting. But that's the end of the movie is that Kelly sort of walks away from this town to, you know, I which, guess go set up shop somewhere else. Which two things. It, interestingly, I also read there was a novelization of this film and Sam Fuller for the novelization. The scene where Griff is telling her, talk to her like she's your own child, like, you're not Kelly the woman, you're Kelly the mother. I guess in the novelization it says, talk to her like you're not Kelly the whore, you're Kelly the mother. Oh. Uh, so, yes, it's bookended in a way that's very much like uh, No Me Malone, Elizabeth Berkeley in Showgirls, where we, we are introduced to her traveling to Vegas and see her leaving it. This woman is doing the same thing, traveling into this community and leaving it. Uh, I was. She's also supposed to be self-taught. Like, she she's well read but you know as i've also this has happened to me on many occasions you think you know how to say something because you've read it for years but you don't uh so she's about she's like butchering all these names uh because one of my first notes was like oh i'm pretty sure it's pronounced Goethe. uh but that's the versailles scene in showgirls yeah yeah i mean it's it's kind of remarkable. It would actually make a great double feature. Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie first and then Showgirls. I really enjoyed it. We watched... You have the Criterion. So we wa- it's available on Amazon Prime for mm-hmm. free. But um, you have the actual Criterion. And then the, the the artwork on the insert for the Criterion is actually a really cool image of her. Although they give her blonde hair in in the artwork. But in the movie, she's brunette. In, in, in the initial scene, and then she becomes blonde. But, um, well, it's the, I mean, it is pure pulp fuel. There, I, there's a sort of interview with Constance Towers in like the early 2000s. 2007. So she's probably like in her late 60s, early 70s. She's still alive. And she looks great. Yeah, she's and, very uh, She's very sweet. Uh, it wasn't, I mean, there were no revelations in there, but it's fun to hear her talk about it. And um, I think. The movie, and actually, it was more interesting to hear her talk about Sam Fuller and mm-hmm. his sort of um, personality and how it um, is infused into the story. I think the actual story and the writing is quite good. I think the acting is what makes it seem camp. Well, it's you know they weren't able to really vocalize what they're talking about either in in so much of it. So there's this 
this kind of removal from reality already. Uh, right. And how people would speak. But there are so many good parts in the moments in the dialogue, like when she's screaming at Biff, she's like, you'll be sleeping on the skin of a nightmare. <laughs> Oh my god! The, uh, and then uh, Griff telling her that there's no way that uh, Kelly could ever go straight. He's like, "Your body is your passport." <laughs> well, what else do you want to say about this um, movie? I also so Sam Fuller wrote his autobiography. You know, he dealt a lot with racism in his films, uh, like House of Bamboo, Crimson Kimono, even all the way through his early '80s work with White Dog. Uh, but it's important to note that in the early '60s, he was. Solo, uh, Shot Corridor in 1963, which also stars Constance Towers, and some consider The Naked Kiss like a spiritual sequel to that because of her linking uh, suggestion in there about how her previous boyfriend uh, was locked in a mental asylum, which is what happens in Shot Corridor. These were independently financed, you know, without a studio. Uh, He references in his autobiography that Constance Tower shaved her head. She says, I did not. You can see him wearing a skull cap. Oh, that is something that we learned is that the the, the mythos was that she had shaved her head. But I, I think, when was this movie released? 1964. So obviously watching it in 1964 on the big screen with film, uh, it, it looks quite good. But watching the Criterion Blu-ray in high def, mm-hmm. it's very obvious she's wearing a skull cap. Yes, uh, but there's an excerpt in the insert from his autobiography titled Want to Be a Lindy, and he talks about being a young uh, crime journalist for New York Graphic, and he would uh, call in his uh, stories from this local brothel, uh, because the madam was amused by him. But he, through his experiences there, kind of got to hear all these prostitutes talking. Mm. He he references a woman named Helen, uh, who he would often go get... uh, after their early bird clients, they would have can. They would go get donuts and coffee, and he would run errands for them. And he brought coffee back to a woman named Helen one day, and the madam was like, "No, you gotta, you got somebody waiting." She's like, "Oh, will you hold my coffee for me?" And he said, "It'll be cold." And she's like, "No, it won't." <laughs> but he also talks about you know them bickering because the madam would take you know over half of their profits, uh, and. Helen, he said, I overheard her complaining about it, and the madam said, "Do you want to be a Lindy?" Mm. which is a reference to Lindbergh's solo flight uh, over the Atlantic, <laughs> like uh, Be Without Protection. Uh, and Sam Fuller, interestingly, compares himself at this period to being a Lindy because he's going at it alone because so many projects of his fell through because of you know terrible producers or crooked producers. But um, yeah, he, he's a fascinating person. I, I highly recommend you know most of his filmography. Uh, but Naked Kiss is a favorite. Well, the subject matter is serious. I think it's actually a, like, a, like a good Sunday afternoon with other people and some, you know... We didn't talk about the na- mimosas. what the Naked Kiss means. Oh, okay. Oh, actually, okay. So I, when you... Because I put the movie on and then you were like, Oh my God, I know this movie. I love this movie. Do you know what the Naked Kiss means? And I said, well, I'm assuming since I saw the word pedophile that maybe the Naked Kiss refers to... Um, like maybe what the pedophile is telling the young girl that he wants to do. But then in the film, it's made to seem like she, she says like she could tell. Where her first kiss with Michael Dante, uh, she recoils. Okay. But what, but, but then in the interview in the criterion video, she Constance Towers says that it, it's also called like an iron kiss. Like it's prostitute lingo. It, 
supposedly but she didn't explain it well in that interview and then in the movie what i thought it meant is like when she kissed him she could smell something and that's what she says it's a taste it's a taste but like she so i assumed it was something quite vulgar like Mm -hmm. she could taste you know like maybe another female's vagina on his lips and that's why she recoiled but then when constance towers describes it describes it in the early 2000s she talks about how it's like a sense, mm-hmm. like a like, like smell a sense of snow, like like a gut instinct that something's <laughs> wrong. But I don't think that's what it means. I, you know, I actually should have looked it up. Like, what does what it? Does it was I thought that, based on these vague explanations, was that it was there was something about it that clued you off that this person was a degenerate uh, of some sort. Yeah, I I took it more literally, like that. You know, because when you get close to people, you can, you know, you can smell, you know, you know when things have happened or sure. you can smell sex. And that's what I assumed it meant when we saw her recoil from him. But either way, um, yeah, it, it, it's very interesting. All right. So that's the naked kiss. Mm-hmm. What do we have going on this week? Um, oh, God. A new Ron Howard movie. Great. Uh, and then what else? Uh not a lot coming out. There's a, an LGBTQ plus horror film called Hypochondriac I'm interested in watching. Um, oh, we can watch that today probably. A Juliette Binoche, Morgan, uh, yeah, Juliette Binoche, Morgan Freeman film called Paradise High. Oh, and then a sequel to The Riff or The Reef? That shark movie? I don't know. Oh, yeah, that's in the, the list. I haven't asked about that. Uh, oh, well, you already know I want to watch that. Yeah, I, that might be the type of film where they don't give screeners for. Uh, oh. And then, oh, we've... Published it way too early, but our review of Resurrection, with starring Rebecca Hall and Tim Roth, that film finally comes out this oh, week. Oh yeah, we accidentally—I accidentally. Well, based no, on I, your guidance, I accidentally yeah. published it too early. But yeah, that movie's coming out. Oh, oh, I guess we can't talk about that movie either. What? Three thousand years of longing. Oh yeah, that premiered a can in May. So we saw that and reviewed it, but it's not coming out till like. The like end of August. The end of, like, for a, a month from now. But I really liked that. Yeah, movie. I like that too. And then uh, we see the Predator prequel this week. And oh. I think Bullet Train's the week after that. But yeah, all of that's coming up. All right. Do you have a quote for us? Um, well, because Sam Fuller uh, was, you know, the talk of the town. But I had a couple quotes from him. Oh. Uh, I liked, heroes, don't believe in them. Oh, okay. Uh, and Condoms, don't use them. I feel like <laughs> this would resonate with you, but... Uh, when you're at the end of your rope, all you have to do is make one foot move out in front of the other. Just take the next step. That's all there is to it. I mean, that's pretty much how I live. <laughs> Just trying to get to the next day. Oh my God. <laughs> is that all? Uh, yeah. Bye.